Amen. Well, as our kids are making their way, if you would like, I would encourage you to join me in Psalm 23. Tonight, um, we bring to a conclusion um, a sermon series in Psalm 23. We've been working our way through this familiar psalm um, one line at a time, and I know it has been a joy and a blessing for me, and I hope it has been for you. And tonight, we bring this series of sermons to a conclusion, just as a kind of for what it's worth, moving ahead, beginning next week, we're going to take a look at several important scenes in the book of Acts, and that will take us at least through the fall and maybe into the spring and just further, further. Uh, As is our custom, I will pair this reading the reading from the New Testament tonight, it will be John chapter 13. I'll read Psalm 23 in its entirety as well, though our focus will be on the final verse. Would you listen closely and carefully to this God's word? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And from John 13, just listen to this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment we ask by the power of your spirit that you would do the thing that only you can do. Would you shine light on these words that are in your word? Would you shine light on the words that I've prepared Lord, would you shine light into places in our hearts and in our lives where light needs to be shown? And would you use these words, Lord, to great effect in our hearts and in our souls, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I am a fiction reader. Um, I like to read stories, novels. And... One of my favorite novels of all time, and I know that I'm a man who says a lot of things are my favorite. One of my favorite novels of all time is a novel by a man named Wendell Berry, and it's called Hannah Coulter. And Hannah Coulter tells the tale of a family on a farm in Kentucky, and it tells the tale of the ups and downs of this particular family's life through the highest of highs, the greatest of joys, but also weaves into the lowest of lows 
in the most serious of sorrows. And as this tale weaves back and forth and up and down, there's a line that one of the characters continues to say to another that's dotted at really important points along in this story. And the line goes like this. Nathan looks at Hannah and says, Hannah, we're going to live right on. We're just going to live right on. And I actually think that's a pretty good way to bring a sermon series from Psalm 23 to its conclusion. I think Psalm 23 promises us that as we walk in this world, both in the high highs, the amazing joys, the low lows, and the serious of sorrows, what it promises us is that we're going to live right on. But importantly, if I could underline it and highlight it, we're going to live right on in the goodness, in grace, and faithfulness of God. There's a main thing I want you to hear tonight. If you don't hear anything else I say tonight, this is the main thing I want you to hear. Tonight's sermon is about trying to get this idea across to you that it's God's goodness. It's God's faithfulness. It's the Lord's goodness. It's the Lord's faithfulness that will endure No matter what, come what may, it's the Lord's goodness and the Lord's faithfulness that will endure. And to show you this, to get this across to you, um, we're going to look at these words here in verse 6. There's some key words, some key terms, and I want to try to define these terms, these words, and these phrases. So let's take a look at the first one in verse 6. Surely... It says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Surely. So this word surely in the Old Testament is a strong word. Okay, it's, it's surely. It's certainly. It's expressing confidence. Even if that confidence is in the midst of uncertainty. So let me give you just a quick Sort of not the big deal illustration. Um, my wife Mandy and I were um, making a grocery list, and she asked me, "Do we have any more limes?" As she's making a list, and I said, "Surely we do." It's expressing confidence, even in the midst of a little bit of uncertainty. This word in the Old Testament can also mean something even stronger. In fact, most of the time, this word surely is translated in the Old Testament, it means only. So the effect is something like this, certainly goodness and mercy, surely goodness and mercy, and then finally, maybe, perhaps, only goodness and mercy. But wait a second, only goodness and mercy will follow me? 
That can't be true, right? Because we all know in this room that things besides goodness seem to come into our life. Things not good come into our life. And of course, it's, it's not true that, that only good things happen to us when we know the Lord. That's obviously not true. There's, there's too many stories in this very room of examples of not good things coming into our life, even as God's people. Clearly not. And I want you to hear me say this afternoon, it is okay as a Christian person to call a thing not good. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, famously said that one of the gifts of being a Christian is being a Christian allows us to call a thing what it is. You might not be like me, but if you're like me, when something not good happens, I feel this unbelievable pressure to quickly, to quickly move past that not good thing and try to claim it's good somehow, maybe too fast. See, one of the great gifts of being a Christian is we can call a thing what it is. But this text teaches us that goodness, surely goodness, follows us. So what does this word goodness mean? Let me give you a brief explanation of how the Bible describes this concept of the goodness of God. Okay, the goodness of God, there's kind of two pieces of it. I'll tell you the first one and the second one. They kind of, they go together. Okay, on the one hand, when the Bible talks about the goodness of God, what the Bible means is our Lord's kind intentions towards those who belong to him. The God that we serve and that we worship, who's revealed in the Bible, he, he desires to bless his people. He desires to lavish his kind provisions upon them. He's committed to constantly seeking to protect them, to promote their highest good, to produce good things in them and for them. God's goodness is his commitment to delight us as his people, to even dazzle us with his grace everywhere we turn. I want to give you a series of illustrations for this. The first one would be the creation story itself. It is unbelievably theologically significant that when God speaks and the world begins to be formed, at each creative act, he declares it good. See, we're being told something very important about God's character. He is a good God who desires to bless the world that he's made. Goodness and blessing sit at the center of reality because that is who our God is. Here's another um, illustration of of the goodness of God, the the idea that God loves to delight us as his people. Here's here's another illustration. Um, Just this past week, there's a week, I mean, a day in my week where I wasn't particularly focused on God. I didn't necessarily feel like I was that attentive to him in prayer. Um, I wasn't very mindful of his presence throughout the day. I was just sort of hurriedly going about my business. And at the end of the day, I ate a wonderful meal. See, God delights to give good gifts that come out of his generous character, even when we're 
undeserving. If the meal illustration doesn't work for you, I've got another one. My son Leland and I, um, last night, were drawing pictures of trout. Because last summer, we got to fly fish out west together. Me and Leland and Henry and Millie and Mandy were out west, and we caught these beautiful brown trout, these beautiful brook trout, and Leland was drawing them. And I don't know if you've ever seen a brook trout, but they're, they're this dark kind of olive green color with what looks like a maze on their back with all these speckles and spots. It's just a beautiful fish with like an orange belly. And Leland looks at me and says, Dad, why do you think they look so beautiful? And the answer is because God wanted to delight us in that way. Finally, if trout fishing isn't your thing, how about Jesus' words? When Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, you are a father and you delight to give good gifts to your children. How much more am I like that? So on the one hand, it's God's commitment to dazzle us and delight us with generous and kind gifts. But even the fact that that is part of his holy and righteous character does not insulate us from bad things happening to us. And that's why there's this second piece of God's goodness in the scriptures. See, because things happen to us that are not good, then it follows that a unique part of God's good character is to always work good out of any and every circumstances that we face. In one of the most difficult and painful and dark and discouraging days of my life, I remember the pastor who was there in that moment who looked at us and said, today is a really hard, not good day. He called a thing what it was. And then he said, but I've been doing this long enough to know that God works good. See, in other words, we can confess with our mouths that something is not good while at the same time confessing with our mouths that God has promised to work good. See, the Bible teaches on this part of God's goodness that God goes to work to convert and to redeem things that were even meant for evil and to use them for our ultimate good and to shepherd us right on through. As Jason taught us a couple weeks ago, even through the valley of the shadow of death, he's promised to work good and shepherd us right on through and he never stops doing that, both the giving good gifts and the working good for us. He never stops doing that. He never stops doing that, which is what this next word has to do with. Look back at verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. This word mercy is one of the most important words in all the Bible. Some of your translations will will take this word mercy and call it steadfast love. 
Some of your translations will say something like loyal love. Some of your translations will say something like loving kindness. You guys have heard me explain this word so many times from this pulpit because it occurs so many times in the Bible. It's one of the words in the Bible that I call one of the engine words. Um, it's, it's this concept in the Bible that becomes the power that makes the biblical story go. It's that important to, its, to the fullness of, of Scripture's story. And, and God's steadfast love, his mercy in this text, his loving kindness, his loyal love, it's that God wants to certainly bless and love and give us good gifts, and it's his promise to never stop doing that, but to do it so consistently and so faithfully, no matter what, because it depends on his righteous character to do so. If you can imagine the love of God being met with God's total ability to keep every single promise so unbelievably faithfully, that's the idea of God's steadfast love. And this psalm is declaring to us that it's God's goodness in both parts and it's his faithful mercy and love that are constantly following us all the days of our life. In other words, if we could just see everywhere, we would see signs of his faithfulness. But the truth is we see dimly don't we? The Bible teaches us that we see dimly because of trials or, or suffering, because of our own hurriedness, because of our sinfulness, because of just our fallen condition. We see dimly. We don't see clearly. But this passage promises us that even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, it's always underneath the surface, if you will. It's always just around the corner in every part of our life. It is God pursuing us, chasing after us with kindness and goodness and faithfulness. You know, one thing that I've learned in my following of Jesus is there are times where he leads us out in front of us, kind of by the hand. There are other times when he leads us from behind us, just out of sight, pursuing us, watching us, guiding us all along the way. I wonder if you know what I mean. I don't know if you've ever known someone who just kept after you, kept loving you, kept encouraging you, kept being patient with you, kept showing up for you, kept giving and serving relentlessly, loving you, even through your unlovable things. This passage is promising us that our God is that writ large, like the best example there is of that kind of faithfulness. And the promise here is he's that way for all of our days. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And in this final section, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David, the psalmist, is, is being reminded, he's, 
he's remembering that it's God's goodness, it's God's faithfulness that's constantly chasing him, and he will one day dwell in the house of the Lord. What's really interesting is in this text, he doesn't mean heaven. When he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he means I will come back to the sanctuary, to the place where God's people are worshiping. I will find my way back there again and again and again and again and again. He means he'll make his way back to the temple, the place where God dwells. No matter what the trial, he'll find his way back there again. It's really interesting. It'd be like if you and I were to say, you know what, no matter what happens throughout this week, no matter, no matter the high highs or the low lows, at least I'll be back there to sing those songs with those people, to hear God's word, to be refreshed again. I'll make my way back there. By the way, the, the gift of a Sunday is not a, whether you caught the sermon or not, I hope you know that. I hope you know that the gift of being here is more than a sermon. I really hope you know that. The gift of being here is because God has promised his palpable presence in a unique way wherever his people are gathered. And David is saying, I'm going to get back there. I'm going to get back to that place. Now, now, of course, this has a both now and then element. Yes, one day we will go further up and further in, and we will dwell with God face to face forever. That's what's coming our way. But what I want you to see from this text is this text promises the reward of God's presence, communion with God himself, like like now, today. And of course, you and I enjoy even more what David knew because the Spirit has been poured out to dwell inside of us so that God's very real presence goes with us, not just in the palpable way when we're gathered here, but it goes with us wherever we go. This is what David is saying. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And finally, I want to just remind you that all of these promises of Psalm 23 and the ones I've described for you tonight, God's goodness and his mercy constantly chasing after you, the gift of communion with him as the the real gift of your life, all these promises find their yes and amen in the person and work of Jesus. See, it's Jesus who takes on human skin and enters into our situation. It's Jesus who knows what it's like to be us. And it's Jesus Christ who's cleansed us and made us his own. While we're on the sheep theme, though our sins are like scarlet, they can be made white as a lamb's coat. And it's Jesus who was raised from the dead and who is alive. And by the power of his spirit, he's given you and me a way to know him, a way to have communion with him, to even dine with him, to walk with him. He even, by the power of his spirit, sends us out so that other people could come to know this kind of care. 
And according to this passage, all of these promises are yours, available to you now. They will be there for you categorically different one day, and Christ has made that so. The idea of this psalm we've tried to help you see again and again and again is that our Lord's the whole reward. He's the one you need the most. And underneath all the things, he is the one you actually want the most. And it is an explosively life-changing truth to know that the one you need the most is ultimately the one you want the most, and he's the one you have the most, because all of this rests on him who is faithful the most. And you and I, in his goodness and mercy, can live right on through joy and pain and everything in between. Let's pray. Lord, these things are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to take hold of, Lord, tomorrow and in the days that follow. But I pray that your goodness and your mercy that's chasing after us would give us great hope, Lord. Lord, it'd help us face both joy and sorrow together. Lord, that we would know the gift of dwelling in your presence, both now and forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.